All right, how are you doing? Good, good. Tell me what book we've been in for a while now. Second Peter. Thank you for yelling it out there, Nathan. I appreciate that. Second Peter. It's hard to believe. It feels like we just started this, but we've been in this book for like six weeks. We start, I think tonight is week six. We started this way back in the middle of March, and it's only three short chapters. But as we come to the end here, we're going to be in the last five verses of this chapter. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. If any of you that have your Bible open or have opened it to it already, is there a little heading above verse 14 in your Bible? What does it say? Final words. So as we're coming to this tonight, not only do we know, hey, we're at the end of this chapter, but we're at the end of this book. And what Peter is doing is Peter is giving us his final words. As we walk through these last couple verses, we actually find that Peter gives four commands in five short verses. And as I read through that, as I started to look at at kind of what he was doing there, it it reminded me of something that that I remember my parents doing and something that I know that we've done as parents, and maybe your parents have done this as well, where maybe they leave you at home by yourself or they leave you at home with your siblings, but on the way out the door, they're telling you, I need you to do this and I need you to do this and I need need you to walk the dog. I need you to do the dishes. I need you to to clean up your room. They give you like just a list of all these things that you have to get done before they get back or maybe your mom's really organized and she wrote it down on a piece of paper for you and left it on the counter. And if you've had that experience, you also know what the 10-minute mad dash is, don't you? You know what I'm talking about where you have done everything you wanted to do the entire time was gone, and all of a sudden you realize they're going to be home in 10 minutes, and you grab that list, or you start going mentally through that checklist, and you are running around the house, and you're throwing clothes in places, and you're throwing dishes in the dishwasher, and you're running the dog outside, go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, and trying to get back inside, because you want to get everything done before your parents get home. Well, that's kind of what Peter's doing here, is, is he's walked through these chapters, this entire book, and as he's done this, he, he has gone through and he's given us things that we're supposed to remember. Things that we're supposed to do. If we say that we're believers, that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Peter is ending this book by saying, hey, here's, here's four things that you need to do. Now, the big difference is here, though, Peter's not telling them these things because he wants to make sure they've done them before he comes back again. What he's doing is he's telling them, hey, of everything that we've talked about, remember, at some point in time, Christ is the one who's coming back. And when he comes back, this this is how we're supposed to be living. Not you're supposed to have these things accomplished, but this is supposed to be your daily life. So kind of like he started at the beginning of the book where he was giving them reminders, he's ending the book with the reminders as well. And there's four specific things that as he walks through these verses, I want to go ahead and tell you what those four commands are. Those four commands are this. The first one is to be diligent, to be thankful, to be careful, and my wife's going to kill me for the grammar on this one, but be growing. Is that right? Is that wrong? It's questionable, isn't it? Okay, see, I'm, I'm not very good at English. She does a great job, so I'm going to take a chance here. But as we walk through these five verses, you're going to see those four things, okay? So before we jump into that and we talk about what that means for us, who wrote the book? Peter, I'm so glad you guys know that now, six weeks in. When do we believe he wrote it? Okay, 
somewhere between 62 to 67. Some scholars narrow it down a little bit more, 64 to 67. So somewhere in that middle 60s, okay? Where do we believe he was when he wrote it? I'm so glad you're so excited. We, we think he was in prison, jail. But jail where? Rome. Absolutely. Okay. Who did he write it to? No, not to jail. He wrote it to the early church. Oh, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. You get ahead of me. You get ahead of me. He wrote it for two reasons. What are they, Riley? He wrote it to encourage believers and to warn believers. If, if you've not been here as we've walked through this, he had to encourage them because this is a time where Christians were being persecuted. This is the time when this guy by the name of Emperor Nero, real guy, you can look him up in the history books, he was, he was on a mission to stamp out Christianity. And the amazing thing is that as he persecuted Christians, all it did was cause Christianity to spread. Because as people fled, as people went different places, it went with them. So what he was trying to do actually had the exact opposite of what he was trying to do. So I'm going to ask you guys, I know it's five short verses, but every time we read a chunk of scripture, I ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. If you don't have a Bible, you still have time to run just like Nathan is to the back and get one of those blue ones off the table. For those of you that are used to us having them in the backs of the seats, um, I took them all out and put them on the back table. So they're back there if you need one, if there's not one on your row where it normally is. But we're, follow along with me as we start in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Hurry up, guys, come on. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, here we go. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together, God, once again, that, that we can do this every single week and try to understand what your word says, God, because of how much value and importance it's supposed to have in our lives. And God, I pray that as we walk through these last couple verses tonight, as we see, as we see Peter's list of, hey, these are the things you're supposed to be doing, God, help us to examine ourselves and find out if we're actually doing these things. If we claim to be believers, God, Help us to really look at your word and see what it shows us about you and in turn about us tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. What was the first B? Be diligent. I was going to say it was on the screen. I don't know if it still is. Be diligent. Listen to what he says here again. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. So he says right there in that verse, he says, since you're waiting for these, what is he talking about that they're waiting for? This question and answer time. What's that? What's he waiting for? 
Yeah, he's talking about waiting for the second coming of Christ. You go back to what we just talked about last week and two weeks prior to that. He's talking about the fact that there's false teachers and those false teachers take scripture and they twist scripture. And one of the problems they were seeing is that people were saying, hey, the second coming of Christ, are you sure that's really going to happen? Because everything's been the same since our fathers heard that. And now that we've heard that, life has gone on just like every other day. So is, is that really true? Is that really going to happen? And what he talked about last week, he said, hey, you need to remember, Christ is coming back. There is a day when all of creation will stand before him. And all of creation will be judged according to who he is. Not by our standards, because our standards fall way short of God's standards. And he says that that's going to happen. But because you know you're waiting for this, you need to be diligent. He's going back to all of these things that he's talked about in this book so far. Where he's talked about be on the lookout for false prophets. Here's what they teach and, and here's how they teach it. He's saying because of all of these things, you need to be diligent. Do you know what that word means? Does anybody know what diligent means? Smart? That could be part of it. What's it mean? What's that? Careful. Okay. That's part of it. Strategic. Y'all got some good answers here. Don't raise your hand if you don't have an answer. What's that? Loving. Hopefully you're loving. All right. One more guess. Persevering. Okay. Let me give you the online Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. It says this. Characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic effort. So to be diligent means you're not just waiting for things to happen. You're going after them and making them happen. You're, you're doing it, it says, steady, earnest, and energetic effort. It's like this. If you get good grades... You get good grades because you are diligent in your class. That means you are listening to the teacher. That means you are taking notes. That means you are studying the material. Now, I know all of you do that every single class that you have, which is why you're acing everything. And some of y'all are like, yeah, right. But that's, that's what diligent means. Or, or when you get a job, if you don't have a job already, the way that, that you excel in a job, the way that you get promotions, the way that maybe you become the boss one day is you show up early, not on time, because if you're on time, you're late. You show up early, you work hard, and you figure out what you can do to do a better job than everybody else. That's, you'll, you'll get it in about a year, okay? So think about that later. <laughs> if you're early, if you're late, excuse me, if you're on time, you're late. Just think about that later. Nope, think about that later. Nope, not going there. But this is what it's talking about here. He's saying, hey, you as believers, you need to be diligent. In your walk with Christ, in the things that you say you believe, you've got to go after those things to be characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic effort. But look at what he says you need to be diligent in. He says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. He says, be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Now that's a reference, if you're not familiar with what he's talking about, that's a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system. This is a, a picture. This is something that his readers would have been familiar with because in the Old Testament sacrificial system, this is what happened. This is the system that God set up for man to, to pay the price for his sin before Jesus came and paid that price for us. 
God set up laws that there were certain rituals, certain things they had to do where they would make sacrifices to God, animal sacrifices, and it was the blood of those animals that carried the weight and the penalty of the sin. There was death, there was a blood payment that had to be made. And that's what we just celebrated a couple weeks ago on Easter. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sin because he shed his blood. That is what God requires. But in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't done that yet. So they went with animals, and that's the law. Those are the rules that God set up. But those animals, they couldn't just be any old animal. Oh, hey, there's a stray dog walking down the street, and we'll take him to the temple today. That's not what they were allowed to do. There were certain requirements. They had to have animals that were without blemish or without spot, visually, physically, seemingly perfect. Now, here's the problem. He's using this picture, but he's saying, hey, you as believers, you need to be diligent in being spotless and unblemished. But the problem with that is every one of us is discolored and marred by sin. Every single one of us. Now, on the outside, some people may look more visually perfect than others. But every single person in all of creation for all time is deeply scarred inside because of sin because of disobedience to God. So the problem is we can't be unblemished and spotless on our own. We have to rely on who Jesus Christ is. It takes the perfection, the righteousness of Jesus for anybody to be seen by God as without spot or without blemished. What Peter is doing here is he's communicating a 100% full reliance upon who Jesus is in your relationship with God. Because on your own, you can never be spotless. You can never be unblemished because we are all scarred and distorted by sin. But it's the righteousness of Jesus when we put our faith and trust in him that lets God see us as spotless and unblemished because his blood has forgiven us. And that's what we have to be diligent in, pursuing that relationship with Christ. That is the only way that we can be seen that way. So he says, be diligent to pursue Jesus. But he also says in that next verse, we need to be thankful. He's moved on to the second command there. Listen to what he says in verse 15. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Now, I, I want to stop right there because he's, he's saying, you need to be thankful. You need to be glad that Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet. You know, there's, there's people in this world, and, and I see this posted online, and I see people say it all the time, and, and quite frankly, sometimes it's a lot more senior adults that say this, but you'll hear people say, come Lord Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's a great mindset to have because, yes, you want to see Jesus come back. That's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, there's a problem with that mindset. Because if we are so ready for Jesus to come back, that means we're done doing what he has for us to do now. That means the people that, that we have the opportunity to share Christ with, we're not worried about that anymore. We're just ready for Jesus to come back. But what he says right there is he says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. What he's doing here is he's saying, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful that Jesus hasn't come back yet because the fact that that has not happened means we have more time for more people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be forgiven of their sins. He says, you need to be thankful Jesus isn't here yet 
Because when he's not here, the gospel still has time to advance. And more people can put their faith and their trust in him. And that's a good thing. Yes, this world is messed up. Yes, there is so much junk and garbage that happens every day that if Jesus came back today, all of that would be done. And it would be incredible. It would be amazing. But there's a lot of people that don't know who Jesus is yet. So the fact that he's not here, the fact that he's delayed, we need to thank God for that because now we have the opportunity to share Christ with that friend at school, with that coworker, with that family member, with whoever it is in your life that you know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Peter says, be thankful. And then I like this. Peter name drops at the end of his book. Did you see that right there in verse 15? He says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them for these matters, of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Peter now brings Paul into what he's talking about. And he's referencing Paul because he's saying, hey, Paul, He's telling you these exact same things. If you read what he's written, if you read his letters, he's walking through the same things that I've been walking through in this book with you. And it's really cool here because if you look at what he does, if, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. But he actually takes Paul's letters and he puts them on the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. Look at what he says again right there in, the, in that verse, last part of 16. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So he's saying, hey, Paul's words, it's, it's God's words. And he's assuming, uh, clearly Peter has some knowledge of the writings of Paul. He's assuming that these believers, these early church people also have some knowledge of the writings of Peter, or excuse me, of Paul. But he also points something out, and it's something that I think we get stuck on sometimes. He admits, he said, hey, there's some things in Paul's writings that are hard to understand. And, and you've probably experienced that at some point, we all have, where you're reading scripture, whether it's Paul or somebody else, and you're reading along, and okay, this makes sense, this makes sense, and then it's all of a sudden, well, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And, and we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to understand it. But I, I, I've heard it described like this. And I'm going to throw out a couple things to, tonight that I've actually heard from one of the pastors at the camp we're going to this summer. And one of the references they've made before is when you're looking at Scripture, there's times when you rake and there's times when you dig. There's some passages that are they're easy to understand. And, and, and everything's right there on the surface. It's kind of like raking. You're just getting up what's right there on top. You don't have to do a lot of hard work to understand what's going on. But there's other times where you get to spots in Scripture and it's hard to understand. And that's the time where you have to put down the rake and quit doing the easy work and you got to pick up a shovel. And you got to start digging into Scripture so that you can really get in there and start to understand what the truth is that seemingly looks like it's incomprehensible. And, and, and as we do that, what that does is that drives us farther into God's word, which is a wonderful thing because we've talked about this over and over, the, all those false teachers that Peter talked about. The only way that you know someone is a false teacher, the only way you know that they're twisting scripture is if you actually know what scripture says. 
Because Peter tells us that there's false teachers who are rising up all throughout this book and they're going to twist those things that Scripture says, which is why you have to do the third thing. You have to be careful. You've got to be careful. Look at what he writes here in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He says you need to be watchful. You need to be on guard. You need to know that there are false teachers. You need to know what they look like. And you need to know that their goal is to take Scripture and twist it and get you to believe those lies. You've got, you got to be careful. You've got to watch out for these things. There's never, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you don't ever get a moment to relax. And, and, and that's, that's not the culture that we live in. We live for the weekend, right? Where we don't have to go to school, where we, where we don't have to work. We love to go on vacation where we can just get away from everyday responsibility and we can sit down and we can relax. And I want to share with you all a secret. When parents take families on vacation, it's a vacation for you. It's not always a vacation for your parents. But we look for those opportunities. And yet, Scripture tells us there's never a day off from your walk with Jesus Christ. I told you I was going to reference a couple things. Something else I've heard from one of the pastors at Snowbird is this phrase, and, and I like this phrase. He says, take a day off, get mauled by a lion. And there's a biblical basis for that statement. In fact, if you, if you go to the, you don't have to, to flip there, but it's found in 1 Kings chapter 13. And in that passage of Scripture, this is a true account of an example of that statement. You've got a guy who is a prophet of God, and God tells him, hey, I want you to go to this place. There was a guy by the name of, um, oh, what's his name? Jeroboam. There was a guy by the name of Jeroboam who had built his altar, and he was going to dedicate it to other gods, not the God of Israel, not the God that we see in Scripture. He was going to dedicate it to other gods. So God came to this prophet and said, hey, I want you to go to Jeroboam, I want you to tell him to stop what he's doing. But he gave him some requirements. He said, while you're doing this trip, while you're doing what I told you to do, don't stop and eat with anybody else. Don't stop and drink with anybody else. And don't come back the way you went. So this guy goes and he goes and talks to Jeroboam and he tells him what God says. And, and, and the people in the city there, Jeroboam's like, hey, stay and have a meal with me. And he says, no, I can't. God told me not to. So he goes home a different way. He's obeying God. And as he goes, he actually comes across another older man who is also a prophet. And the other older man says, hey, I see. I'm also a man of God. You're a man of God. Come, have a meal with me. And he does. He disobeys God. And the next morning, he gets on his donkey. He goes to leave. And it says a lion comes and kills him. And here's the incredible thing. If you keep reading that chapter, that lion comes and kills him. You think a lion kills somebody, it's going to start eating, right? Scripture tells us that the, the, the lion stands there. Once the guy's dead, the lion doesn't touch the guy. The guy, lion doesn't touch the donkey. Because it was sent by God. It's doing what God wanted done. And, and they use that story, that account in Scripture, as that's where that phrase comes from. Take a day off, get mauled by a lion. Because the idea is, he took a day off from being obedient to God. And because he took a day off from being obedient to God, he got killed by a lion. It cost him his life. 
But there's also a practical thing we see in Scripture as well. And believe it or not, it's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to what Peter wrote. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If I can get the word out. So we see a biblical example of that phrase. And then we see the biblical warning that backs up that phrase as well. There is never a moment in your pursuit of Jesus Christ that Satan is not after you. Not out to get you. Not out to make you take your focus off of who God has called you to be. That is why you have to be careful. Because if you let your guard down, you will be knocked off course. He says there, you will lose your own stability. The absolute best way to keep that from happening is that fourth command. You have to be growing every day. Look at what Peter writes in verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's not enough just to avoid false teachers the way that Peter has talked about them in here. It's, it's not enough just to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stay away from those people. I'm not going to listen to those people. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. Because what you need to understand is that if you're going to move away from something, if you're going to move away from lies about Scripture and move away from false teachers, that means you have to be moving towards something. You can't walk away from one thing without walking towards something else. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. He's saying if you're going to avoid these false teachers, if you're going to avoid these lies, then you have to be walking towards Christ. That's the only way you're going to escape this. You've got to move away from them and move toward Jesus. That's what this entire chapter that he's talked about has warned us about. He's saying don't be fooled. Know what the Word of God says. Don't be fooled by people who are going to take and who are going to twist Scripture. You've got to move away from that and you've got to move towards Jesus. You've got to be growing in that relationship every single day in order to be who God created you to be. And there's multiple ways you can do that. To grow, to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You do that by spending time in the Word of God as you read it and as you study it. You do that as you spend time in prayer. You do that as you spend time in private worship and you spend time in corporate worship, which is what we're doing right here if you don't know what that means. It means coming together. Do you know that? You're supposed to worship on your own. When nobody else is around, you worship God. But then we also come together so that we can encourage each other, so that we can worship God the way that God has called us to do. But you have to be growing each and every day so that you have to be diligent in your pursuit of Jesus. Because that growth and that diligence, what it does is it drives you to be thankful. And it gives you the wisdom to be careful. You see, these four things he talks about, these aren't just four commands. These are four things that are intertwined. They all play into each other because once you do one, the others start to play in as well. Once you ignore one, it starts to affect the other ones as well. And that's that's what I want to end with tonight. That's what I want to ask you tonight is what do you need to be tonight? Do you need to be diligent? Do you need to be thankful? 
Do you need to be careful or do you need to be growing? And I ask that like it's four separate things. The truth is, you need to be all of those things. But a lot of times, there's one of those that we're failing at. That we know we're not doing what God has called us to do. And my question for you is for you tonight, which one of those is yours? And here's what I want to ask you to do tonight. I know sometimes moving in a room is uncomfortable. I don't care. I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. I'm going to ask you tonight, those orange prayer cards, I want to ask you to think through those four things and the one that you know that you need help in, the one that you know that you need to work on, that God needs to give you the courage and the strength and the the, the desire to be that thing. Diligent, thankful, careful, growing. I want to ask you to write it on that card and I want to ask you to put your name on that card. And in a minute, when we stand, don't start singing. Drop it in this basket. Because I want to pray for you. And as I've told you guys before, when you turn in prayer cards, I make copies of them and I send them to your life group leaders so that they can pray for you. They get an email from me almost every Thursday with copies of those prayer requests. Because we want you to be the young men and the young women that God has created you to be. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. So when you come up here and you drop that on the, on the, on the steps or in the basket, take a minute and stop and talk to God and ask Him to give you the strength to do what it is you know He's calling you to do. Adults, if you're in here tonight and you see some of the folks that are in your life group and they're up here praying, come pray with them. Come pray for them, even if you don't know what's on their card. If you see somebody up here praying by themselves, here's one of the things I'm going to call them out. I love about our sixth grade guys. If you watch them, when one of them comes up on a Wednesday night to pray, what happens? All of them come up. And I can promise you, they don't know why the first one's praying 99% of the time, but they never let one of them pray alone. Because that's what we're called to do. All of this stuff that we've talked about over the last six weeks from 2 Peter, we're called to do it by ourselves, but we are also called to do it together with each other. Let's do that tonight. Let's be the body of Christ that He has called us to be so we can do the things that He has called us to do. And and if you're here tonight and, and you don't know which one of those four things you need to work on, it may be because your B tonight is to be forgiven. Because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you've never put your faith and your trust in Him. You've never come to the point where you've said, God, I'm a sinner and I can't fix my own sin. But I know that Jesus died on a cross for me. He paid that price and I know He conquered death and He conquered sin when He walked out of that tomb. God, please forgive me. I'm going to follow you with my life. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to start there. And if that's the case, write that on the card too. But I encourage you, don't walk out of here with talking to one of these adults about that tonight. Tell them that you need to be forgiven because they would love more than anything else to show you how to do that. God is calling you to be. Are you willing to do it tonight? Let's pray. God, we thank you. 
We thank you that we can come before you, God. We thank you that we can study your word. God, we thank you that your word makes it so clear who we are supposed to be. And God, I pray right now, every person in this room, students, adults, God, help us to be diligent in pursuing you, to be growing. God, help us to be looking for opportunities to be thankful and tell other people who you are and share the gospel. God, help us to be careful. Help us to pursue you with such passion, God, that it's easy to spot somebody who's not and somebody who's leading people astray. God, help us to have the courage right now to spend a few moments on our knees before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.